0: Welcome, we want to say welcome, and a, and a, a special welcome to, to everyone who, uh, who might be new here this morning. We're grateful that you're here this morning, and we, we, uh, we consider it a privilege that uh, you chose to come and worship with us this morning. Uh, I want to just kind of just outline a couple of thoughts real quick. One is just to kind of go off of uh, what Luke was just saying, but we, 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 are, we do have an open spot um, on our uh, elder board. And... Um, so, so with this, just just want to explain something that seems to be confusing at times. We have kind of a self uh, 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 application. In, in other words, what we ask is that at the end of the process, that someone would voluntarily sign up to do this. So we don't do like, hey, I nominate Jim Bob over there because I think he. You know, we we don't do that. But but that doesn't mean that that's not part of the process. If there's somebody in the church body that you feel like would serve very well and that you want, I mean, you, you need to participate in this process. I mean, the, the leadership of the church is the responsibility really of the people within the church. And so this is really something that we should take very, uh, really high regard in. And, and, and whenever you, if there's somebody in this church body you would like to see serve on the leadership body of the church, then please have that conversation with them. Please say, hey, would you please go grab a, a, a packet, look that over, and, and sign up. So we don't, we don't do nominations. Again, at the end of the day, the, it's very important that, that whoever would fill that position would feel led by the Lord and not just um, pressured by people around them to, to fill that position. So anyway... Um, Take part in this process, talk to people, and, um, and, and whoever you think would, would serve very well for this church body, please talk to them and encourage them to grab a packet and fill it out. A um, couple other things, really quick too, just a little bit more business. We wanted to bring before you guys, um, uh, uh, pri- right prior to 2020, I believe, we started a campaign for um, up in Lame Deer for uh, to get beds to kids who needed beds so there were a lot of kids up in Lame Deer who were sleep they were being raised by their grandparents because of drug addiction and alcoholism and different things like that and um, they were sleeping on piles of clothes and different things like that in sleeping bags and so we ran a campaign to get some uh, some mattresses to give out to them and and between COVID and and even the tribe we We kind of honestly got shot down on that thing, and another thing that's happened since then is that the guy who uh, was owned the furniture store that was going to purchase these mattresses for us at you know at at wholesale uh, moved to Alaska, and so with even the tribe, it's it's weird. I know it's weird, but they the the. The store that we work with there, they, they, they shot the whole thing down about giving away free mattresses. They're, they're very adamant about, which I totally believe in their mission, about having people pay for these different things because, because purchasing brings dignity, and that's a good thing. But here's the, 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 the long story is is that we're asking if we can shift. Now, if you've given into that, that program, what we want to do right now is that there's a, a need up in Lame Deer there. Uh, Pastor Dean, who we work with, is, is starting kind of a, uh, a residential treatment center right there on his church grounds, and one thing that he needs, they're going to start, Chance was talking about this, but they're going to house, I think, five to eight guys right off of the bat, and they'll be in a discipleship program. They'll be getting free from addiction and, and, and working through those kinds of things, but they need some mini fridges. For just each person to have, you know, some food and to be able to kind of have their spot, their bed, a fridge—those kinds of things—are things that they're wanting to put in place. And we have enough money for certain to purchase those refrigerators. We, we're seeing it one way that that one way that we help the children on the reservation is by helping the fathers and the men to get free of alcoholism and drug addiction as well. So that's what we're saying. We would like to shift over some of those funds for. If you have a problem, if you've given to that fund and you're struggling with that, please come and talk to me and, and, and we'll, we can talk about that. But if I don't hear from anybody, if everybody's kind of good with that, we're probably gonna move forward on purchasing those, those refrigerators for those guys and helping them to get this place set up so that, uh, it's also gonna be an emergency homeless shelter. So um, years ago we went and took the youth group up and we went to Lame Deer, And and we did a little missions trip there. And there was a guy who kind of kept coming around. And I'll never forget because it was really cold the the night out before. It was like 15 below zero out. And he had spent his entire night walking around in a bathroom, in some public bathroom somewhere um, that had no heat in it. But he has to continually, has to walk and move all night long to stay warm and basically keep from freezing to death. And so this is also going to be an emergency shelter for people who who need that there, and there's a great need there. So anyway, long story short is, um, if if you're struggling with that idea, please come talk to me. If I don't hear from anybody, I'm going to assume we're good with it, and we're going to move forward on the fridges, okay? Great. Um, One more thing too, I wanted to, I just began throwing out these little, little things prior to the sermon, and today I wanted to talk a little bit about bitterness. Because what we none of us really needs to have happen in our lives is for a seed of bitterness to begin to take root and grow in our lives. I think that um, when we look at Luke chapter 15 and we see this this parable of a lost son, when we see the older brother and his response when he comes home, the, if you remember and think back, the, the, the younger son is, has went, he's, he's just kind of uh, ran through a whole bunch of, of wealth and, and just frivolously, kind of in wild living, it says he, he'd spent it. In, and he comes back to the father, and he's met with compassion and kindness and love. And this father throws a party for him, right? And it, because this son was dead and is now alive. He was lost, and now he's found. Well, goes on. Party's going on. Older brother gets there, right? And he's anything but glad that the younger brother is safe and sound and back home. As a matter of fact, I think probably his heart would say he, he would probably just as well that his younger brother was dead for what he did. But he's incredibly angry and he's mad. And, and, and so what happens is that the father comes out of this, this tent, this celebration, to meet this son and to ask him to come in. And, and culturally there, it was shameful for the father to, once he's through a party and invited the guests, it was shameful for him to leave before his last guest had left. But despising the shame like our God does, right, who endured the cross on our behalf, this father comes out and he, he meets this son. And it says he, he, he begs him, basically, to come back in. And, and, and it says, the, the, the son says this. He says, he was angry, it says, and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command. You never gave me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. It's an interesting thing because if you look in the beginning, what you'll see is that the father divided the estate between the the youngest and the oldest son, which meant that him as the oldest son would have got a, a greater, a double portion. He would have got two thirds of that estate. But you see the problem with him what was his anger and his bitterness and his unforgiveness. A seed of bitterness had, had grown in him, and instead of having compassion and love for his brother, he, had, he allowed bitterness to grow in his heart. And, and that blinded him from every good thing that was around him. You see, when we live our lives in unforgiveness and we allow bitterness to soak in and to take command of our lives you'll be unable to see any good thing around you because you'll be so focused on what's wrong. So just a thought, I want us all to just be mindful to not allow seeds of bitterness to take hold in our hearts. Okay, so we'll get on to the text here. Today, we are in Mark 14. We're in verses 12 through 31. So, as always, open your Bible, turn your Bible on, um, and we'll get started. This morning we're calling it Jesus, our Passover. I'm going to find my T here. All right, let's read it together and then we'll go back through it. Verse 12, and on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room that I may eat the Passover with my disciples? and he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready, there prepared for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And it was, when it was evening, he came with the 12, and as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, is it I? He said to them, And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. So the Passover, if we remember, the Passover... We'll, we'll just take a quick look back. The Passover was the final judgment, the 10th judgment against Pharaoh when, when Pharaoh was holding God's people and enslaving them in Egypt, and it was the final thing. Now, remember with this, it, it, it's this thing that, that the angel of death is coming. It's imminent that the angel of death is coming. And, and in that, the angel of death is going to take the firstborn of each household. Now, that doesn't mean baby. It just means simply the firstborn son of each household. And the firstborn son, he was the representation of inheritance. He was the representation of future and hope for the family and those kinds of things. But remember, there was a prescription that was given that God gave in a way that you could avoid this or, or to be rescued or saved or passed over in this scenario and that was by following God's instructions to take a lamb and to sacrifice the lamb and then to, to apply the blood of that lamb to the posts all the doorposts over the top of your door and on the sides of this door and and so in that when the angel of death came to that household regardless if it was an egyptian home or if it was an Israeli home, a home of one of the Israelites, the angel of death would pass over that home, and the firstborn, the hope, the future, the inheritance of those people would be preserved. All of these things, let's remember, that all of these things are, are, are imagery and a, and a picture, and even a, a, a prophetic clock that is running that, that, that basically are foretelling about the Messiah and about God and about what He is going to do in this world. So the fact that all of these things are happening at the Passover is not any kind of a coincidence at all. As a matter of fact, as we begin to look at Jesus, and we talked about this last week, but we'll review it again, remember that, that as the, the people... Eventually, Passover worked into what becomes called a Seder meal. And and through the years, that's changed, and and it's had some adaptations, but it's a memorial. It's where the people of Israel memorialize the Jewish people, the Passover, and this picture of what God has done for them. And obviously, the gospel is so heavy in this this picture. but, but, But Jesus becoming not just... A participant in Passover, but the absolute fulfillment of Passover for us. And, and so remember that the, the people of, uh, the Jewish people were supposed to take a lamb into their home, right? And they did that four days prior to Passover. And in that time, the lamb would live and stay with the family. Remember John chapter one, that he came and he tabernacled with us. He came and he lived among us. <clears throat> it's this picture of, of Jesus coming and coming into our home or our place and staying with us. There was a time then during that, those days prior to that in which the family would be examining that lamb and, and making sure it was truly a lamb that was worthy of this sacrifice of being the Passover lamb representative for their home for that time. And and, and so we see too that the other thing is that this also coincides with the feast of unleavened bread, which was then a seven-day feast that began on Passover and continued on from there. And in that, the household, every household was to go into their home and they were supposed to make sure that their home had absolutely no leaven in it. They would go through all of the cupboards and everything to make sure that anything that had any yeast or leaven in it was removed and taken out of the house. It's a picture of purity and the necessity of purity. We also see that Jesus, right after his, his, uh, his, um, his triumphal entry, the next day he goes into his house, the temple, and he purifies it. He, he, he removes the leaven and the sin and the corruption that is in that place. And again, all of these things are just, they, they're, they're really meant to powerfully display to us that God has got this plan, this thing that has been going on for, for like thousands of years, and its fulfillment is like coming. It's, it's just amazing. Like, like there's nothing else like the Bible. There's nothing else that would take all of these things and, and run this thread through thousands of years and multiple authors and all kinds of people and, and cultures and times and stay relevant and, and, and continue to paint this consistent picture for us of what God has done. It's really amazing when you think about it. <coughs> so we, we just will see ultimately that Jesus is going to become that sacrifice, right? And obviously, we see the gospel written here in this spot to where through the story of the Passover that you and I, that we were subjected to hard labor by sin. And not only were we subjected to hard labor by it, we were held captive by sin. And and we were without hope. We we couldn't do it that, that the angel of death, that everything about this was imminent on our behalf. But God made a way for us, that that through the blood of Jesus that is applied then to ourselves and our lives and our home, then the angel of death passes over us. The firstborn is spared, and we have then hope and a future for what things look like coming up. We opens up, really, the the idea and the concept of heaven to us. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, clean out the old leaven that you may be a new lump just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. And, and, and so it, it's, it's no strange thing to Paul about all of this imagery and all of these things that we're talking about and all of these feasts and festivals and, and, and the correlation between them and the Messiah who is to come. And so we too then are to make sure that in our homes, in our lives, that we are getting rid of the leaven, which always represents sin, basically in the Bible. It's this representation of the leaven, of sin in our lives. And it's this idea that when just a little bit creeps in, it goes out and it goes through everything. And it touches every sphere and every uh, aspect of our lives, and, and certainly we live in a world in where we see that as sin has went out and the further that it's went out, just the more broken and the more difficult it's gotten. The, the further that people get away from God, the, peop- the further that people get away from the answer of that, just the darker that it gets and the worse that things begin to get. But there's hope, and that's, this is the, the message of this, the Passover, and all of this is one about hope. We're going to see too, even in this idea of the inspection, the, the, the Passover lamb had to be inspected. And we're going to see here in a little bit that even Pilate inspects Jesus. He, he looks at him and he says, I find no fault in him, right? And, and, and all of the people, the, they really can't pin anything on him. The only thing ultimately that they pin on him is the truth. He makes a true statement about who he is and they call it blasphemy. You see, Jesus told us that he is the door. He, he makes specific statements. As a matter of fact, John 10 says this. It says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they would have life and have it abundantly. What an amazing scripture this is, it's the idea too. And trust me, you know, for them, there would have been no doubt when he said, I am the door, the Jews that he's speaking to and the audience around him would have very much known that he's talking about the door with the blood applied to it. That he is that way. He's the means by which we escape death. The means by which sin is, is, is paid for so that we can be saved. So the whole time he's he's being lauded as as he comes in in his triumphal entry as as being uh, with the call of Hosanna, save us. The thief or the enemy comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy, and he takes a number of ways and methods of doing it. There are tons of methods that the enemy creeps into our lives and begins to steal and kill and destroy, and some of it, unknown to us, can be things that we would even maybe just call and look at and say, well, that's actually a pretty good thing. You see, because he shows up as an angel of light. But at the end of the day, how you can know if the enemy is at work or not is because it steals, it kills, and it destroys. Always. And Jesus came to be the answer to that, to be the rebuttal to that statement, and he came so that we would have life and have it abundantly. That we would have abundant life, not just mediocre life, not necessarily easy life, but an abundant, meaningful, and deep life, and walk with Him, a vibrant walk with who He is. Acts 14, 27 is the same. When they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all the things that God had done with them and how He had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Again, it's this imagery, I'll go back, of this door. This door that, 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 that is the entranceway. It's the means by which we attain salvation. So, the, so we talked about the Seder meal, and the Jewish people um, practice uh, a, a Seder meal. And honestly, we should do it. We, we set out to do it in 2020, of course. We're all set to do a Seder meal, and then COVID happened. But this spring, when we get close to Easter there, we, sh- we should do a Seder meal. It's a really cool thing if you've never had a chance to to go through a Seder meal, but, but what we see is the, is the imagery that's even kind of unknown to a lot of the Jewish people of how in this meal, the traditions of this meal all point to Jesus. There are four cups that, that, are, that are drank through, through, this, uh, through this meal. So the Jewish people would have four cups of, of wine throughout this meal. And, and those cups are, the first one is the cup of sanctification. The second cup is the cup of deliverance. The third is the cup of redemption. And the final one is the cup of praise. And those come out of this verse right here, Exodus 6, verses 6 and 7. It says, Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the labors of the Egyptians, and I will rescue you from their bondage. Well, the first part, I will bring you out from the labors of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you as my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the labors of the Egyptians. And, and so we see in this picture, we see, you know, so much about just the gospel that, that and we're going to see this in all of this that's going on, is that there was a prepared place. And then there's a deception, and then there's a redemption, and then there's the promise of heaven. And, and we see this, even Revelation 21 speaks out of this, and I will be with them, I will be their God, and they will be my people, right? And, and so ultimately, this is the story, this is the story of history, is that, is that God prepared a place for us, and we, we betrayed Him. We, we went our own way. And in so doing, we, we fell, and sin entered into the world, and sin is going out, and it's causing all of this carnage and all this sadness, and, and the, the, the enemy is stealing, killing, and destroying in that. <clears throat> At the end of this story, it's, the, it's a picture of the, the redemption of Eden, the restoration of Eden. It, it, it's about God turning things back to what the original intention was, it's about the picture of heaven. See, God offered us heaven and we chose something different. Ultimately, through this door, through this application of the blood and through the cross, that we can once again make it through that doorway, have the angel of death pass over us and be in the spot prepared for the future, for for heaven. And in the very middle of this story is the cross. And, And it's the cross that is this entranceway into this. See, in the, in the Seder meal, there's some really interesting things, not only just these cups and the significance of these cups, but there are three pieces of what they call this matzah. And, and, and matzah is simply, it's, it's unleavened bread. And I have tortillas right here, but um, the, the Jewish people used this, they had unleavened bread. And there were three pieces that are on the table that are symbolic for what's going, each one covered in, in a piece of white linen. And during the meal, as, as it's going out through there, there's, there's a time where when they go and they break the bread. And remember, what we're about to see here is that, is that Jesus here is, is, going to, is, is lining this stuff out for us, right? Um, they're on the first day of unleavened bread when they sacrifice the Passover lamb. There's a whole thing about, where would you have us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And so he sent two of them, Always sending to, remember, teams. Go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready there. Prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went and found it just as he had said, told them, and they prepared the Passover. So what does that mean? I don't know. If you know, email me and let me know. I mean, it's one of two things. It's either that Je- God, it's, it's either that Jesus is looking at this and saying all of these things are going to happen, or it's kind of a 007 kind of a thing where this is like all set up and it's like Jesus has got his people in place. Go meet the guy that's got the water bottle. Follow him. When he walks into a house, go and ask that guy, hey, can we find a place to prepare the, the, the meal for the master? It's... It, it, it's either that there was a connection already that was made and these things were in place or Jesus just knew how it was going to be and said, hey, just follow these directions and it's going to get you there. Either way, it's pretty cool. But anyway, here they are and they come and they come to this place and they begin to prepare basically what would be this Seder meal. And, and, and out of this, we're, we get our communion. The four cups again... There are three pieces of matzah and what's really interesting is that so when jesus he's going to sit down and he says it was evening came and and as they were reclining at the table jesus said um i say one of you will betray me one who is eating with me many translations say one who is dipping with me In, in the seder meal you you dip and you there are several different parts of this but one part is where you take these bitter herbs and you dip them into salt water, and, and they, they eat it. And the idea of that is to remember the tears of the people while they were in bondage. And, and so <clears throat> this whole meal, again, memorializes the Passover and the Jewish people being set free from the bondage of the Egyptians. But there's Jesus says, uh, somebody's going to betray me. There's one who was eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him, is it I? And he said to them, it is one of the 12 who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written, but woe to that man by which the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. This this statement that Jesus is making in this time is not in the absence of the guy who's doing it, right? Judas is there. And Jesus is sending just a really stern warning to him right there. He's saying, look, as I go, it is foreordained how I'm going to go. It is written. It is going to happen. But woe to him by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. You know, Judas is an interesting study, and we'll, we'll look more into this later. But Judas makes a decision at this point. Jesus has given him a stern warning, and he's made a decision to move forward and to go ahead and to betray Jesus to uh, the authorities. Now in 22, we start this idea of the institution of the Lord's Supper. So, So communion that we take comes out of this Seder meal, okay? And it says, as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it. And he gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. So, in the Seder meal, there is a particular piece of matzah that is removed. And it is the middle one, it is the second of the three. And this is the piece that Jesus would have taken out. As we look at the Spirit, we see that Jesus is the second of the Trinity the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so as he takes this piece of bread and he breaks it for the Seder meal, which is a memorialization of all that God has done in this, he says, this is my body, which is broken. The interesting thing that happens next in the Seder meal is that the piece, the half of that is taken and it's wrapped in linen, in white linen, and it's hidden, and it's hidden away and later on the children, they, they seek all around the house until they find it and it comes out and it becomes the dessert at the end of the meal. But what a picture here of, of the one who's, who's been broken, whose body was broken that we might have life, who then puts on the grave clothes and is hidden away for a while, but only to be brought back out and to be revealed again. It's just such imagery, it's so, it's so amazing. It's called the afikoman, and it means uh, it, it, it means the one to come kind of a thing. It's really cool. Take this. This is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they drank of it. And he said, this is my, the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when... I, I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And, and, and so this, this would have been a particular cup. Again, there are four cups. And the cup that he would have picked up at that point would have been the cup of redemption. Now, many other, uh, other accounts tell us that it was after the meal, right? That after the meal, Jesus took the cup and, and, and made this announcement. And that cup in the Seder meal, the cup of redemption, comes after the meal. How is it that it says in Exodus 6 that he will redeem his people, how? With an outstretched arm. Right? That, that he would be outstretched, that he would be pierced. There's so many uh, prophetic words that go into this. And then he would reach with an outstretched arm and he would be pulling us in. He would be rescuing each and every one of us. It says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Interesting that they would sing a hymn that Jesus knowing and entering into, and he fully knows what all's going on and, and what the timeline of this is looking like. and he takes time to sing and to praise before he goes into the deepest, hardest darkest work that he's doing on our behalf of redemption here. Psalm 118, again, is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. Jesus has been quoting this throughout the whole thing. Listen again. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon uh, us. Bind this festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. It's the final song that Jesus sang. Before his death He told them that that you're going to be scattered You're going to get scattered all over the place This again is fulfillment of a prophecy Zechariah 13 Awake, O sword, against my shepherd Against the man who stands next to me Declares the Lord of hosts Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered I will turn my hand against the little ones It goes on to say you will, he says, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, Jesus is looking ahead, where to his resurrection, the very place that his church is meant to look ahead to. See, the hope of the believer is the resurrection. It's the day when this is all made right, the way it's all intended to be. It's the day when we put aside all of those, I wish it could be some way different, and we live in the reality and the joy of the way that it really is because it's been restored and redeemed. So Jesus says, but I'm coming back. I I am going to go before you to Galilee. I'm going to be raised up. And Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, emphatically, he said this, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. In Luke, a parallel account, we see Jesus say this to to Peter, Simon, Simon, he didn't call him Peter. I want to notice that first off, he addresses him as Simon. He recognizes what power that Simon is trying to operate in. He's trying to operate in his own abilities, in his own self-will, in his own strength. I will not do this. I will not deny you. I know you talked that there was a denier at the table. It is not me. It will not be me. I will go to death. And this is a guy, honestly, who was ready to do it. As a matter of fact, this is the guy who pulled a sword out in front of a Roman cohort and cut off the ear of of Caiaphas' servant, Malchus. And you don't do that if you're not ready to die. He was ready to die, but the problem with Peter was that he believed that his own strength was enough. He believed that who he was and and how good of a disciple he was and how zealous he was for the Lord and the strength that he showed and the endurance that he had shown over the three years and that he was a go-to guy. And he was a guy who had your back, always. And you know, Jesus is about to work something. He says, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Man. How do you like Jesus to tell you that? Try. Satan is demanded to sift you like wheat. I would be like, like the Satan? Like that dude? Like, Like, like you told him no, right? You said no. But you see, Simon needed to learn something about being Peter. He needed to learn something about being the new creation. He needed to understand and learn that as strong as he was by human standards, it was nothing, and it was was not able to really sustain him or carry him through the difficulties and and the challenge that he was about to have. He says, but Jesus said this, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers." Sometimes it's our our deepest shortcomings that actually strengthen us. When we get real with that, when we get right with that, you see, Peter had a morality of his own. He he, he believed that there was kind of an economy within himself that, that, you know, I got your back, and and I'm a strong guy, and, and I'll walk on this, and I will not deny you, I got your back. And it was all about him. It was all about his ability And and that needed to be not just like gently removed from him. You see, the things like that that's in me, it needs wrenched out of there. It it only comes out with like weeping and gnashing of teeth kind of stuff. It's not pretty to get down to that spot and have the Lord take it. But you see, it's just like in the, it's kind of the New Testament version of the book of Job in a way. God is giving permission here for Satan to turn this guy's world upside down a little bit to reveal to him that, that, that he really doesn't have what it takes. That this is going to be a guy who goes from pulling his sword in front of a Roman cohort to a guy who's denying that he even knows Jesus to a little bitty girl. What a violation of his moral code and who he is. But I'm going to say to all of us, you see, nothing good ever begins until we recognize that you and I we couldn't even hold our own moral code, much less God's. I don't know about you, but I could tell you a lot of things about me that I believe about my character. And then I can turn around and go in the past and show you every place that I fell short. Every place that I violated, everything about who I said I was and how, what I was going to do and whatever and all of this stuff. You see, it reminds us and it brings us back to this place of our need for Jesus, our absolute need for who He is. And then it reminds us, too, I'm going to pray for you, and when you've turned, you strengthen your brothers. That Jesus is saying, what the enemy has determined for evil, I'm going to work it for the good, right? I'm going to change it. I'm going I'm I'm to flip the script on him. And then he said, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and death. And Jesus then told him that thing that had to just break his heart today. Before the rooster crows twice. You're going to deny me not just once, not twice, but three times. What a blow to him. But you see, this, this Passover, this, this whole meal, everything about this, it, it's this picture, it's this, it's this thing that there's a prepared place. See, the, the, the disciples went, and they, they went into that house, and they prepared a place for this meal to take place. And then Jesus begins to talk about a betrayal. There's gonna be a betrayal amongst us. And as a matter of fact, the betrayal is all of us, right? And, then, and that's, that's the bigger picture is that we've all betrayed him. And, and then there's, there's a sacrifice that's gonna take place that is gonna be the answer for that. And then there is the promise of heaven When Jesus says he will not drink again of the fruit of the vine, it's the final cup of the Seder that he's talking about. And that's the cup of praise. And that's the cup that he'll take up again when all of this is brought back into its right place. And we're at the wedding supper of the Lamb. And once again, the cups are poured. Jesus says, until that day, that's the day day that I'm waiting for. And that's the day when all of this is going to culminate and it's going to be complete well lord we thank you we thank you for this day and we thank you for your goodness we thank you for who you are we thank you that you are our passover lamb that you you defeated death that you you came and and you made a way you are the door by which we can enter into eternal life the door by which we are released from the bondage of our past, the, the sin of our lives, the, the thing that was holding and keeping us bondage, that was keeping us away from the abundant life that you purchased for you made a way. And Lord, we are so grateful. We are so thankful. May we walk and live in the joy that that generates in our lives, Lord, that you, you've done all on our behalf. And you've asked only that we would respond, that we would only just hear and do what you've called us to do, that we would apply that to our home and Lord in so doing you want to set us into freedom and restore us and not just deliver us into life but into an abundant life so Lord we just pray over that we pray that, that throughout the week that we would walk in a manner that brings glory and honor to you that we would love well into our community that we would fulfill the ministry that you put in front of us as we as we uh, as we do life this week as we go about wherever we're at May it all be done to your glory. And may we just, uh, uh, may we be a people just desiring to have the opportunity to encounter others, to share the hope that's within us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.